Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD stimulant awareness. Are they addictive? With us in our virtual studio tonight is uh, Dr. Anthony Rothstein. Uh, We are celebrating ADHD Awareness Month by bringing awareness to ADHD stimulant uh, medications. Uh, This is... Show number five in a seven-part series on the topic. We've covered the basics, shortages, dosing, and effects. Again, tonight we're talking about are they addictive. Uh, Next week we'll talk about medication diversion and then media sensationalism the following week. Uh, Real quickly, the 2018 annual International Conference on ADHD is uh, November 7th through the 11th in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to being there. We're doing a pre-conference and a presentation for the general conference. And uh, if you haven't gone to a conference, I would encourage you to go. You get some great information. You're going to get great information on uh, the show tonight. Uh, but the reason you go to conferences is your tribe's there. It's actually to meet the people, talk to the speakers, and learn a lot. So we encourage you to check that out. Uh, our show tonight is being brought to you by children and adults with a Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. We're offering two free digital copies of Attention Magazine. All you've got to do is listen to the show and email us uh, the secret word to three shows, uh, three different shows, to attention at attentiontalkradio.com, and we will email you uh, PDF copies of the magazine. We have a little tip that we're going to run real quick for Chad, and we'll get into the meat of the show. Chad celebrates ADHD Awareness Month each October to improve the lives of the 17 million children and adults in the U.S. who live with ADHD. In 2018, we're setting the record straight. Help us raise awareness for those affected by the disorder and their family members. To learn ways to get involved with ADHD Awareness Month, visit our website at chad.org. Thank you, Chad, for your support. For those that are not aware, they're the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. Yes, they're the ones on Capitol Hill. They're the ones talking to the regulatory agencies uh, to make sure that our voice is heard, that they're paying attention to our needs and are uh, helping and advocating. We encourage our members to become members. Uh, go to chadd.org to do that. Um, if you become a member, there's a lot of great member benefits, but the real reason is really just find, you know, support them financially so we can speak with a unified voice. All right, so tonight, um, stimulants, are they addictive? Are they abused? Or can you become dependent? Uh, this show has been repurposed. It was run earlier. Uh, it was good then. It's good now. Uh, we're including as a part of the seven-part series. Again, tonight is show number five. Uh, if you'd like to look at the other shows, go to the description section, and we have links there. Um, you can get that at attentiontalkradio.com, and you can probably, I think you can get it off of iTunes. I don't know about some of the other libraries. Um, this is a hot talk, a little bit of background on this. I, I, for three years, I tried to find somebody to come on and talk about this. It's very difficult because you can't really get a pharmaceutical company. You can't get really... Um, different entities uh, because of conflict of interest or different types of things. So uh, Dr. Anthony Rothstein came on, and uh, it was a, it's a very insightful show. I'm grateful to him uh, for doing this show. I think it's a really, really good topic, and I think it will really help shed some light on things. So uh, we're going to roll the tape, and I hope you enjoy the show. Dr. Rothstein, welcome to the show. Good to be here. 
Uh, I am so thrilled that you agreed to come on and talk about this particular topic. It is one that's very, very um, – there's a lot of stuff around it. There's a lot of people wanting information and gain some clarity. And I wanted to do this show for the longest time. And I reached out to multiple ADHD experts. And what was fascinating, Dr. Rostain, is many of them pointed to you saying uh, that you would be ideal for this. And as you know, I've been in contact with you for a period of time to pull this thing together based on scheduling. So thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I'm delighted, delighted to join. Today, one of my goals is, is when it comes to ADHD and stimulant medications and addiction is so often people ask some questions and they get these kind of vague answers. And I, I'm not so sure we can get to some real, real, real specific type stuff, but I think we can answer a lot of questions that are outstanding, number one. And number two, understand some of the pros and cons about why some of those responses are out there. And I guess I want to begin with just the whole notion, Dr. Singh, can we just talk about ADHD, stimulant medications, and addiction? Are they addictive? How, are, how addictive are they? Just, can you just take it from there? Sure. Um, so, you know, amphetamines and methylphenidate, the other major stimulant class have been listed since um, 1971 as Schedule II drugs under the Controlled Substance Act. Um, the reason they were listed that way was because of the potential for abuse and for misuse of, of the medications. Uh, prior to that time, for the previous, um, you know, 35 years or so that they had been available for other for treatment of other conditions uh, there was no concern but um, there were there were there was evidence that people were having side effects from these medications that weren't being well um, monitored and so the um, the FDA um, in 65, 1965, banned the inhalers of stimulant that was available at the time, benzedrine, and limited um, amphetamine uh, usage to that which could be obtained through prescriptions. You know, in the early days of the stimulant availability, uh, you didn't even need a prescription to get a benzedrine inhaler, uh, and people used it as a decongestant. They used it to help them with um, when they were flying in, in deep, unpressurized airplanes it would reduce the discomfort of the flights you know airlines mm -hmm. would pass pass out benzedrine to passengers so there wasn't a whole lot of concern in the early days but over time people got there was some there was some concern that they there were uh, side effects noted uh, and people became dependent and or became uh, a, otherwise intoxicated from the medication. So they were classified as Schedule II drugs in 1971, and one can have to say that while I don't consider stimulants the way we use them properly to be addictive, they are potentially addictive, and that's why they need to be um, monitored and, and why you can only get them with a prescription. That's why it's not, it's, there is no over-the-counter availability anymore. You just said something was that if used properly. That's correct. Can you, can you spend some more time on what that means, if used properly? Well, the, the medications are, are approved for use for the treatment of, among other things, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, they are also, by the way, approved for the use of treatment of narcolepsy or drop attacks, you know, sleep, sleep, uh, sleep to, uh, in the middle, falling asleep for no reason during the day. Um, 
And when monitored carefully by a, a, a prescriber, the medication is safe and does not cause either a, a physical dependence, which is what most people use the term addictive to mean, meaning that if you stop the medication, you don't go through a major withdrawal. Uh, and in essence, what does addiction really mean? It means that when you stop a medicine, your body notices and you go through withdrawal. The irony here, by the way, is that we would not call, we don't consider SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, addictive. However, if you're taking an SSRI like uh, fluoxetine or, or citalopram, they cause a withdrawal effect when you stop taking them. So, you know, in a way, some of this is, is what I would call sensationalized language. Mm-hmm. Um, the real concern with stimulants is not so much about addiction as it is, although addiction in one area I will talk about in a moment, but okay. the main concern is about abuse and about psychiatric and physical um, uh, physical problems developing from the uh, overuse, if you will, taking more than you need or taking it and administering it inappropriately. Um, now, the other important uh, point to be made is that the reason that it's become classified this way is that the euphoric effects of stimulants have been well documented and they became street drugs. Um, people were taking them as pet pills, uh, and they were also using it to get high. So, um, and, you know, the, there is a real concern, for example, about a form of amphetamine that's produced in, in uh, you know, in Ill- illicitly in, in garages and other places called methamphetamine. And methamphetamine is a cousin, is, a, is, is a chemically very similar to amphetamine. But methamphetamine, of course, is used to get to, to create a sense of euphoria. It's not the the, the street drug uh, methamphetamine is not uh, what we prescribe when we prescribe stimulants. But because there's similarity in the structure and effect, um, that's why the, the the whole class of, of 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 drugs was put under the Controlled Substance Act. The other drug that is um, similar in its action is cocaine. And again, you know, cocaine can be used therapeutically in for numbing, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it can be used by ENT doctors use it to numb the nasal passages if they're doing a procedure in the nose. Um, uh, and yet cocaine is also used by people looking to get high. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's important for the listeners to understand that these medications, if prescribed for ADHD, um, don't cause addiction, don't cause euphoria, don't cause abuse, but individuals can take these prescriptions and misuse them, and that's the big concern. Oh, my God. (laughs) This has already been the dream show, (laughs) because what I'm hearing, and I want to say this, and Dr. Rustin, please make sure I don't misrepresent this, is that if, if these stimulants are used properly, we do mean properly under the supervision of a physician for some of these things that are prescribed for ADD would be one of them, that there's not, there's not a physical addiction necessarily associated with this. However, the danger here lies not in the physical addiction but on the abuse side because the abuse of the drug can create a lot of problems. Is, is, Absolutely. I, I, I want to minimize that. That's an accurate statement? Yes. 
Yes. So, so the, the common misconception that people have who are afraid of stimulants is that if they start taking a stimulant medication prescribed to them by a clinician who is licensed to do so um, and is prescribing to them for, say, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, the biggest fear I hear from patients is, I'm going to become addicted. And what I basically say is, you will not become addicted if you use it as prescribed. Now, that being said, let's, let's continue with that scenario for one more minute. Yep. If yep. you are a person with ADHD and you're taking medication for it, which is a stimulant medication, you will become used to taking it, right? You will become adapted to it. Yep. And if you don't take it one day, you will notice it. You'll notice it. You'll feel uh, sluggish. You might feel tired. Now, is that withdrawal? Yes, it's a minimal, mild withdrawal from a medication that your body has habituated to taking. But I don't call that addiction, okay? That's a physiologic adaptation that your body makes towards getting a, a, a medication on a daily basis. And by the way, um, a, another good example of this is coffee or caffeine. We, you know, I'm a coffee drinker, and if I decide to stop drinking coffee one day, I will feel tired that whole day and probably the next day, and then the following day I'll be back to myself, okay, without caffeine. But it does, you know, you do, your body gets used to taking caffeine your body does get used to its absence then is causes it a problem for you so that's the difference between addiction which means when you stop the medicine you go through a major physical uh, mm -hmm. crisis versus what i would call getting adapted to or you know having having the your body develop a familiarity with the stimulant Yes, the person knows that the day they don't take it, they're going to feel more sluggish. They're going to feel tired. Okay, but I would not call that addiction. Just like you I know, wouldn't call it addiction if, you're, if you take Prozac or fluoxetine every day and then you skip it and you don't feel good at the day you skip it. That's not addiction. That's just your body has yep. gotten used to the serotonin uh, that, that levels that your SSRI is giving you, and now suddenly you don't take it, boom, your body's going, where is the serotonin? It's, it's funny because I was about ready to bring up the whole coffee thing because I drink coffee all the time, and when I don't have it, it creates a problem for me the next day, but you know, two days later, I'm fine. So I'm going to add one thing to it. I used to, um, uh, Dr. Rustin, I used to swim competitively, swim for the same guy who coached Mark Spitz, and we used to swim four hours a day. And mm -hmm. it's funny because you would go through this process, and then we would go through what's called a tapering process where you'd back off, and sometimes we would do it very abruptly for a, a big meet, and when we would stop, I would just have, I mean, I would be out of sorts for like about two days after I stopped for a couple of days mm -hmm. because I had adapted my body to some of that stuff. And literally, I mean, I was, I had more difficulties focusing and concentrated. I don't think I was addicted per se to the swimming and the exercise, but I had adapted my body and was making some adjustments. So I love that. That's, that's a great example. That. That's a great example. We know, we know that the body that is exercising vigorously every day, if it stops doing so suddenly for a few days, again, that physiologic change is registered in your brain. You, you, you notice it. And there's one other example I would use similar to the one you mentioned, which is we know that people who are joggers and who feel good after they jog, a, a subset of them, if they stop jogging, experience a mild depressive uh, episode. Okay, they feel lousy. Their yep. mood goes down. And these are individuals we think who have a who have 
uh, on the one hand, a very positive response to jogging, but who, when they stop the, the, the jogging, their brains are telling them, like, oh, man, I mean, I'm yep. not feeling good now, okay? Yep, yep. And whether it's endorphins. Could be endorphins. It could be other other yep. other chemical messengers that our body makes. Somehow, you're not making enough of that when you don't jog or don't swim or don't do something uh, that you're used to doing every day. And yeah, you will register that difference. Absolutely, Dr. Rustin. We need to go to a break real quick. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about abuse and the harmful effects of abuse. Because now that we've kind of taken a Swiss Army knife and split this thing apart, I do want to kind of look more closely at just that particular area to illuminate on. Good. Um, before we go to a break, um, what would be the for anybody who's got some questions or would like to reach you or learn about you? Is the University of Pennsylvania website the best place to get you, or is there another place we should? Yes, that's to? the best place. So that's uh, the www.med.upenn.edu, correct? Yep. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Tonight's secret word is addictive. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. You've tried logic. Johnny, just calm down and work. Then you can go out and play with your friends. Now get the help you really need to improve motivation, communication, and compliance for kids with ADHD. Join nationally recognized ADHD parent coach Cindy Goldrich and her team of experts at PTS Coaching. Take the first step. Sign up for parent workshops today at ptscoaching.com. Workshops offered in person, via the web, and as e-courses. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. The average annual cost of attending college starts around $25,000. Students who have ADHD are at high risk of dropping out because they haven't learned the critical skills they need to succeed in school. Protect your investment with an EDGE Foundation coach, specifically trained to help students with ADHD and Executive Function Challenge make the transition from high school to college. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more or call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE to get your free college success guide. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Rostain having a, an incredible conversation about ADHD and uh, stimulant medications and addiction. And before the break, he did a spectacular job, at least I, for me, and I think a lot of listeners are differentiating addiction um, and, 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 and abuse. Um, as I said before the break, Dr. Rustin, can you enlighten us on abuse and the long-term effects on that? Because I think that this is really a – I'm anxious to learn from you because I really think that this is an area that will kind of illuminate it because I know there's lots of bad, some press out there, but it's really kind of in this area a big deal. So can you, uh, can you walk us through that? Sure. All right. Well, let's start with a couple of definitions. Um, appropriate use of a stimulant is, the, is using it the way it's been prescribed. Misuse 
of a stimulant comes when you're using it for a reason other than when it was prescribed or in a dosage that was different than prescribed. So misuse in and of itself is, is probably common, like when people have the medication and they use it to stay up later to study than they should have. That's a minor example of misuse, okay? Uh, another use, misuse of stimulant would be to use it to sort of help you stay awake while you drink alcohol, okay? So there we begin to see what we would concerning inappropriate use of the medicine. Now, abuse is when you take it outside of the accepted stand, um, standard. So using a lot of stimulant and, and alcohol together regularly would be constituting abuse, okay? Or okay. snorting it in order to get high is abuse, okay? Or mm -hmm. taking any time you're taking a, a, medic, a stimulant for reasons other than what it was prescribed in a, and in a pattern that is way be outside the normal. Then we call that abuse. And then finally, um, some of us call it catastrophic use. And that's when people are using it in such a way as they are now bringing onto themselves uh, imminent harm. Okay, so one le often leads to the other to the other. You move from misuse to intermittent abuse to regular abuse and then to finally catastrophic abuse and those are the people who I think are at great risk for suffering both physical and psychiatric consequences now when we think about the level of the, how do, how do how do we how do we measure all this right now we know for example that about anywhere from 5 to 15% of college students uh, report that they use stimulant without a prescription Okay. Now, wow. how many of them are abusing it versus misusing it? Well, most of them are using it as a study aid. They're using it to mm -hmm. help them get through exams or write reports or essays or what have you. So the majority of those students are not abusing. They're just using the stimulant in an, in a, in, without a prescription. We would call that misuse. Now, mm -hmm. within that group, however, is a higher rate of other substance abuse. So people who say they take, say, a stimulant without a prescription are much more likely than their peers uh, to have, you know, smoked marijuana, like three times yep. more likely to be marijuana smokers and something like 20 times more likely to have used cocaine. So th th there is a group of students out there, and mm -hmm. this is a group that I lecture about to college students and medical students and high school students, I say, don't want to fall into this pattern of usage where you begin to mix it in and start to explore and use all kinds of other drugs that are not only illicit but are harmful for you. Now, mm -hmm. finally, when we get to the actual, what we know are clinical cases of abuse, okay, what we'll see are things like in the state of being intoxicated from an amphetamine. In other words, and usually, by the way, it's, uh, it's, it's, these are individuals who either snort or inject um, the amphetamine. Then what will happen is they might get intermittently first euphoric, they get high. But then after a while, they develop things like stereotype behaviors. They start to have changes in their ability to uh, get along with other people. They start to have um, a lot of anger. They start to become more and more suspicious. And eventually, they go from being just intoxicated at times from amphetamine into frank psychiatric disorders like psychosis, 
It can cause delirium, mania, you know, insomnia, etc. So, it, as I say, the 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 people I'm most concerned about are those out there who are thinking that it's okay to snort your Adderall or your your uh, your other stimulant, and in in so doing, they are risking the onset of serious psychiatric disorders. And then similar to using cocaine in that way, the abuse of cocaine, just like the abuse of, of, of amphetamines, can lead to circulatory changes in the brain such that you create little mini strokes. Um, because what happens is phys- physically, when you, when you introduce the stimulant directly into the brain through the nasal passages what happens right away is that the brain suddenly gets the blood the pressure blood pressure in that part of the brain skyrockets and the um, arteries open up and uh, suddenly there's uh, instability in the in the in the bed the, the the vascular bed we call it the circulatory system of the brain and there are there is evidence that people who do this routinely start to create changes that are permanent in the um, in the circulation of that part of the part of the brain that's exposed to the stimulant directly so I, I can't say this enough to people listening that, um, that, that if you know anybody who is snorting their prescriptions you you really need to tell them that they're playing they're playing Russian roulette with their brains in a way that is highly, highly risky, and um, not only can lead to psychiatric problems, but lead to brain damage, okay? And, I, and I'd say that with no intent to be dram- melodramatic or what have you, because there is no question that that's the risk. And the other big risk has to do with cardiovascular risk. Once again, we know that people who take stimulants as prescribed do not seem to have any higher risk of developing any kind of heart problems if they're otherwise healthy. If they have heart disease, they need to be seen by someone who understands heart disease and ADD and, and get help for that. But for the, for the vast majority of people, taking a stimulant orally and going through the stomach and having the stomach slowly absorb the stimulant and it slowly gets distributed into the nervous system, into the bloodstream and into the nervous system, yep. that those individuals do not suffer any kind of cardiovascular problems. But the people who are either taking huge amounts, like literally hundreds of milligrams a day, day in and day out, and or who are abusing it through, say, either IV or through um, nasal inhalation, that those people have a risk of sudden death and of other kinds of cardiac and cardiovascular problems. So So, I hope that summarizes what what gets at what you were asking. It's brilliant. Um, and I want to kind of just throw a few things in here and kind of transition because what you described, what we've talked about so far is exactly what I was looking for the show, and you're doing a great job of doing it. So when you're abusing it, it can lead to these other big changes. What strikes me, though, is the key here is if you're beginning to use the medications for something they weren't intended, like studying for a test, now you're going outside the realm of what they were intended for, and it starts to increase your risk that you might, particularly if you're predisposed to these types of things, it increases your risk to try it for other things, whether it's studying for tests, and then something else I want to throw in here and kind of come back to is it's becoming a common drug in athletics, and as we speak, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if this has been... Validate or not, so I want to be careful. When this show airs, it might be cleared indifferent, but Wes Walker, 
um, has been suspended from the NFL for four, four games. Yeah. He's got a concussion, but the headlines are talking about substance abuse and Adderall is, is, is actually kind of one of the things that are there. And, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of presentations on ADAC sports and exercise, and those are – it is banned substances for athletics, although you can get waivers in certain sports and different types of things. But if you're beginning to use those things for reasons they weren't intended, and i got to believe athletics, if you're using it to enhance performance and you're doing too much, can, can create cardiovascular problems – now we're into the realm of abuse, and now we're into where the media starts kind of coming in and starts commenting on this. So b- before we kind of move into the media thing, because I do want to touch on that, am I misrepresenting that if, if you're no, using no, it for something you're, other so than now, right. Yes. So, so let's say this. We began to talk about it's, it. We all agree that it is an effective medication for treating ADHD. We also know that there's a risk because it can cause euphoria of misuse and abuse. And we also know that it's been recognized for the longest time as a as at least in people's perception as some sort of a performance enhancer. Now, in the mm-hmm. case of college students, they're seeing it as a cognitive enhancer, even though it isn't clear, by the way, that just taking stimulants at the last minute is going to really change your grade point average. I mean, that's a myth, too, because when you look at studies of, of you know patterns of usage. It turns out that this, those students who are use, who are who are getting prescription who are getting uh, prescription medications without a prescription, whatever those happen to be, are at risk for a lot of problems. Okay, but they're mm-hmm. believing that this is going to help me do better. And apart from the ones who may use it occasionally, once in a while, the people who are using it frequently without a prescription, I think of as. Um, are both misguided and are at risk, okay? Now, we're now moving into the next discussion about performance enhancement in sports, okay? Mm -hmm. And it it is not a new phenomenon. We know that, um, let's say, in the Tour de France, um, there were, in the 50s and 60s, um, very um, well-known cyclists, um, were were uh, were involved in taking these stimulants, and um, you know many of them admitted later on that um, you know that they that they were they were using these to ride to ride the the, the mm-hmm. Tour de France, and and unfortunately, I mean you know it it, it has become criminalized, but the the most celebrated story is that in 1960, uh, this Danish cyclist uh, in the Olympic Games in Rome died during uh, a team trial. And uh, when they did an autopsy, um, they found that he had taken amphetamine mixed with another drug, uh, and, and the two together did him in. So, um, and when they started testing for amphetamines in the following decade in the, in the Tour de France, they found lots of riders were using it. The other big story, if you read Jim Bouton's Ball Four or any stories about baseball in the 50s and and 60s, greenies were what they were called. And greenies were widely available to ball players because it helped, again, as a performance enhancer. So um, I'm not surprised about now that NFL is starting to do what MLB has been doing for quite a while, which is routine testing of, 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 of athletes, you're seeing the amphetamines show up because, again, what, what they're doing for those athletes is reducing fatigue and increasing stamina. 
Okay, mm-hmm. and it may, it may, it's not clear, it may improve in some of them eye-hand coordination. I don't know, I don't know that okay. you have enough data out there, mm-hmm. but for non-ADHD athletes who are using these stimulants, they, they would report that they see not only more, more alertness, less fatigue, and greater stamina, but they may also say they, they see improved actual uh, psychomotor performance, okay? Uh, the jury is still out there, but um, it may be the case that that little edge is what they're looking for, which is why um, they're using. Now, again, um, you know, we don't have to go into all of this, but just like with the um, steroids, um, th- there's a huge price to pay. Uh, both individually and societally for engaging in this behavior. Um, and uh, I don't think there's any solution other than to be doing really close surveillance. And then in addition to banning people or getting them into treatment programs, because yep. you know, the real question is, is what leads people to do this in the first place? And it is a, an overwhelming sense of, I have to do this, otherwise I won't be able to succeed. And if you, whether you talk to the athlete or the college student or the business person who's trying to, you know, get yep. this, the stimulant to stay up and make deals all night, they'll all say, I need it to, 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 to be able to succeed. Yep. yep. Um, Dr. Rusting, we need to run again to a commercial break. Um, this is going to be great. When we come back, I do want to talk about so much um, – so much press about the abuse side of it and kind of discern some little bit of that from our listeners and then kind of wrap up with some other kind of final thoughts. Again, before sure. we go to break, uh, to learn more about Dr. Rustain, the best place to go is the University of Pennsylvania website, which is www.med.upenn.edu. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Tonight's secret word is addictive. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. You can't go off to college with them, but we can. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more how an edge coach can help your student reach their full potential. You can also call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE and get a free college success guide. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay, do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. 
Welcome back, everybody. We're having a great conversation with Dr. Rostain on ADHD medications, uh, stimulants, etc. cetera, um, and it's definitely been worth the price of admission for me because I've learned an absolute ton or gained some clarity. Um, Dr. Rostain, I kind of want to kind of pull this thing kind of together because I'm having a little bit of an aha moment here, and, and I think it can launch us into the next discussion, and, and you might be able to kind of bring some clarification. But when, we, when, when people talk about this area, they, they fear the, um, the addiction side of it, and you've clarified that for us, but you've also talked about the abuse, and that I, I kind of get that. If you're starting to abuse these things in a way that they weren't intended to do, it can create some real, real problems. But when we go into um, to the, the public, and I'm, I'm going to generalize the media, it, what's interesting to me is how they attach themselves onto stimulant medications and they begin to kind of demonize the abuse, but they always drag ADD into it as if to say that if, if you have ADD, they're, they're kind of relating these two things together that, that to me might not should be related together because, again, as you said, if used properly, um, these things are safe. It's the abuse area, which is really the problem. And what, what, what I get frustrated with is I'm not pro-drug or anti-drug, but the using the sensationalism of this abuse to scare people who might benefit from this so they don't go and seek these things out because of the, the response. So can, can you – just anything yeah, that I did. Right. So Let me, yeah, I think this is – Yes, this is a this is a very important question you're raising. Number one, how does the media report the issue both of ADHD and also the issue of stimulants? And since as long as I've been practicing, which is in the 1980s, um, there's been a great fear um, that gets stoked a lot uh, about how we're over medicating everybody, how we're diagnosing people who don't really have a disease or a disorder, and we're just giving them drugs to drug them up and to quiet them down. So there's a one theme that's been out there for the longest time, which is that there's somehow a, 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 a desire on the part of doctors and teachers and the drug industry to over medicate. American children, and the group that's been the most, um, you know, continuous in, in, in touting this theme has been the Scientology movement. So mm -hmm. that's one long-standing uh, group of, of, if you will, alarmists. We can call it that. Then there are, I would say, you know, the the kind of concern being raised appropriately, I think, about the the standards that are used in healthcare to diagnose and and treat a variety of mental disorders. I mean, our healthcare system is going through a great transformation. But one thing has been clear to me as a pediatrician that then became a child psychiatrist is that the resources for mental health care nowhere come close to the needs, and so. We have fewer and fewer resources like therapy and, and you know, widespread uh, kinds of psychosocial interventions compared to the ease of access to medications. And so, you know, not just with ADHD, but with a host of other childhood disorders, um, you know, what happens is people are trying to be helpful. Physicians are trying to be helping their patients, but when there's no nothing else to do, they'll say, well, let's start them on a medication, and that we know is just not optimal. It's much better to have integrated multimodal care, which Im improves people's functioning and is aimed not at, you know, keeping kids quiet, but helping kids learn, or not just in, you know, getting kids to sit still, but to help them to learn, to, to, to function better in the world. So the, the emphasis in our society on pills, as opposed to an integrated care 
um, model, I think, has to be looked at from the standpoint of the, uh, you know, the way we go about funding health care and, and, and getting everybody access to the best possible care. Then the third and most recent, I think, development has been that there are widely uh, celebrated cases of people who've had very bad experiences with stimulants. And there was that story in the New York Times, which was a tragic story of a man who, um, you know, apparently did not have ADHD, but managed to convince people that he did. Or maybe he did have mild ADHD, but he had something a lot worse going on with him. And he eventually, um, you know, committed suicide. Now, from that one case, you cannot generalize and say, there, you see, um, Stimulants cause people to kill themselves, but that's mm-hmm. what people take when they. That's how people get scared by the reporting. So I do think that of late there's been a growing um, sensationalism in journalism around a ton of issues, and uh, the media needs to kind of ratchet it down and become less about sensationalizing and more about educating, informing, and not attacking. Uh, you know, people who are trying to, um, say, do the right thing by diagnosing ADHD. So there really is a polarization that I've seen, and uh, I, don't, I don't think it's healthy for anybody. From the standpoint of your listeners, I think learning about all of, you, all of the health risks out there, about any medication you're prescribed, and making sure you're diagnosed properly, and making sure that you're getting the right kinds of psychosocial help and environmental supports and coaching and all the things that we know contribute to improve functioning for people with ADHD. I think that's what what people need to be asking for. And 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 I guess the last thing I'll say with respect to the the media hype, if you will, is that um, you know I I I don't think it's it's been a good thing that young people grow up thinking, ah, it's no big deal to take a stimulant. You see, I, in a way, I've seen, I've seen the pendulum swing from, oh, everybody who takes a stimulant is bad, to, oh, everybody should take a stimulant. It's a good thing. I mean, it, 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 it's not that simple, okay? Medications are, are important tools, but, but in the wrong hands, they can be misused. And, and I worry that young people today, um, oftentimes, and the ones I'm aiming at are college-age students and in high school and college age students, that they seem to be somewhat blasé and don't really think it's a big deal to give their friends with, you know, who they're rooming with uh, their own prescriptions. So, you know, it's a, it's a good news, bad news story. The good news is more and more people with ADHD are successful, are succeeding and are getting to, into college. But the perception then is that, hey, there's no big deal here. And I think that that's a, a, a I would, I would, I would say that that's where physicians and other others uh, involved in, in in the field of ADHD need to say no. We we see this as a valuable tool. It has its risks. We shouldn't you know ignore the risks. We should simply educate people so that everybody knows what they're getting into when they get started. And most of all, and this is where I I would say. Um, I hold my own profession accountable. Most of all, it's to be as objective as possible and giving people real choices and giving people information. And, and then from the standpoint of what I do as a clinician is monitoring, 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 making sure people are using it as prescribed, making sure that problems are identified early. You know, because I didn't, we didn't even get to talk about this, but there are a group of people who have a tendency to become mood disordered who, for whom stimulants actually may not be such a good idea. You know, we even... Mm-hmm. 
we, we could talk about the subgroups of people with ADHD. Most respond beautifully, like 80 to 90% of people respond to a stimulant. But there's a group of 10, 15% who, who don't respond well or who have bad side effects. And that's a group, we could call that group the, the stimulant, you know, the people for whom stimulants are not so good. And that group needs extra help. Yeah, you see? Yes. Yes. Dr. Rustin, I, I have to tell you, or actually tell the listeners that um, if you've been listening to this, I encourage you to go back and listen to this show a couple times because what you what you shared with us, I think, has been very clear. It's been very brilliant, brilliant, and it's answered a gazillion questions that I that I know people have asked in kind of forums and stuff. But one of the things that I'd like to point them back to, and and you said it, it was so brilliant, and I think it's probably worth you know three or four shows on, is when you commented that our healthcare system, it, the, the, it doesn't the resources don't come close to the need. And I'm, I'm going to intersect my opinion here. When the resources don't come close to the need, it encourages shortcuts and other types of things. And I think a lot of this stuff, again, this is just my opinion, everybody, and I'm, I'm often wrong, seldom in doubt, is that when you have a lot of shortcuts, it leads stuff to this stuff. So the byproduct of a system that's not working or some of these other things, not necessarily a thing itself. So um, with that, Dr. Rustin, is there anything else that we haven't covered or any last comments you'd like to make before we wrap this up? Well, I guess just to just to kind of bring it to the 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 level of what I hope would be civil and thoughtful and rational discussion rather than, you know, hysteria, sensationalism or some sort of, you know, a, a search for kind of a conspiracy theory that that, that uh, there's a over-medicating going on in, in our society. I think when there is over-diagnosis of ADHD, that needs to be addressed by policymakers, by, by parents and families and, and individuals themselves, and by clinicians. We really need to have tools much more widely available to help us clarify why someone's not paying attention. And I will say that the biggest reason I think people are may be misdiagnosed with ADHD, is this rush to come to some quick answer, like a shortcut that you were saying, yep. and it's so much simpler to say, okay, here, you're having trouble focusing here, why don't you take this medicine, as opposed to, well, let's see, let's explore what, that, what might be going on. You know, maybe there's anxiety, maybe yep. there's depression, maybe yep. there's this un- unknown substance abuse problem, maybe the person has a learning disability or some other cognitive difficulty that's being called ADHD, but which really isn't about ADHD. Maybe that they have a, 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 an auditory processing disorder. So I would just say to, in conclusion is we cannot trivialize or minimize the complexity of what ADHD is. For people who suffer it, it is a very complicated and, and can be extremely impairing. And, and we need more resources for everyone, for people who suffer, for the family members, for teachers, for employers, and for the clinical, um, you know, the clinical uh, community to come together and agree on, on, on what should be good standards of care. And then we should ask insurance and, and other policymakers to make sure that good standards of care are being funded. And once that happens, I think we'll see less of the shortcuts and we'll see a greater acceptance, less stigma, you know, less putting people down for having the disorder. And hopefully with time, with with education, with better policies, we will be able to um, demonstrate 
through 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 um, our, our work together that um, in the long run people live better lives with the appropriate use of stimulant medication. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Dr. Rostein, coming on the show and helping us try to get the word out is just, it just kind of falls in everything that you're just saying, so I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on the show and addressing this very, very sensitive topic and providing a level of clarity that I can tell you I haven't gotten out there, and I'm out a lot talking to people and doing so. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Okay. I really appreciate it, and thank you for being a terrific interviewer. My pleasure, everybody. To learn more about Dr. Rostein, go to the University of Pennsylvania website or the medical website at www.med.upenn.edu and catch us next week for another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care.